Anybody want to come so that I don't have to be up here by myself? Because it sure does get lonely up here. Come on, Andrew. Come up and sit with. Come, come, come sit with Papa. How are you guys doing? Y'all doing right? What's up, man? You doing well? You looking good? <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. Are you happy to be here today? Yeah. Are y'all happy to be here? Well, we're happy to have you here. So, question for you. What, what can you do if you're in a, in a situation where you can't see? What would you do? Well, you're just getting right to the nitty-gritty, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely you would. How about if you were in this room and nobody else was here and all the lights were out? What would you do so you could see better? Well, you all are just going right to the spiritual today. You guys are awesome. I'm kind of thinking more generically, more... I'm thinking I would probably turn the lights on. If it was dark, would you turn lights on? Yeah. Yeah. Would you use a flashlight maybe? Oh, um, candles work. If you didn't have a candle, I would try to walk by faith. <laughs> um, what would you do if you were if you were as old as me, and you had to read this, and all of the words blurred together? What would you do? Yes. Absolutely, I would. Absolutely, I would. And if I'm not very spiritual, I might just use these. <laughs> you know what these are? Glasses. Yeah, glasses. What do glasses do? They make you see better. They make you see better. That's what I'm trying to get to here. So glasses are very helpful in helping us to see. The light is very helpful in, in allowing us to see, right? Because the light is Jesus. Yeah, the light of God. So when we turn on the lights, we're basically spiritually, we're turning on God's light. And we're saying, Jesus, come and illumine this place. Fill it up with your light, right? Now, something happens whenever you turn on the lights. What happens to darkness? It goes away. Very good. She raised her hand, but you didn't. But you both had the answer, didn't you? Yeah. So you turn on the light, darkness leaves. What happens when you put on glasses? You see better. The blurry leaves, right? Very good. And what happens when you read the Bible? What does it do for you? Makes you learn about God. Makes you learn about God. What helps you to see what? Helps you to see God more clearly, right? Now we're getting somewhere. So in John chapter 3, this is what it says. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but there are some men who love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil or sinful. Everyone who does bad stuff hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his, his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly or clearly that what he has done has been done through God. So basically what I just want to share with you guys is enjoy the light. Keep the lights on. 
Let Jesus be the light of your life in every situation. So whenever you're scared, whenever you don't know what decisions to make, let Jesus come and let his light shine upon your situation. And it might help you a little bit. It might give you some clarity because clarity is what we all want, right? Right? You like clarity? Clarity? You like that? Clarity? It's when you can see better. Yeah, sure. All right, we're going to pray, okay? Because I need practice. It gives me clarity too. All right? Father, we thank you for loving us. Please bless these, these young ones here. Fill them with your spirit, Lord. Open their eyes that they may see the things that you're doing in this world and around the world. Help them to see clearly, Lord, what their role is in this world, what you have created them for. And help them, Lord, to just trust you, to know that you're always with them. You're never going to leave them. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Have a good one, man. Have a good one. Have a good one. Y'all stay out of trouble, right? Let's see if I can get back up here. Oh, goodness. All right. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. And... You know, sometimes I just never know where we're going to end up, but we're just going to stir things up and see what happens. How's that? All right. So you can't go wrong talking about Lazarus, right? So today is going to be another drive-by, another drive-by preaching. Uh, there's no, uh, no series that we're working on just kind of getting us up to uh, the Easter season here, the Easter time and so I wanted us to talk about a topic that uh, I wrote about in the newsletter article this week, and it's a topic that we don't talk a lot about, and it's a topic that we have a plethora of understanding about, a plethora of ideologies, a plethora of theolo- theologies, a plethora of perspectives, and so it's one that uh, I think is very interesting. The first thing to, to mention is the fact that and you probably know this, you're probably aware of this, but we don't think like this very often. But basically, this world in which we live is made up of two realms. We have the natural realm, that's the realm that we live in, that's the one that we physically see and touch, and that's the one, you know, we go to college, we go to high school, middle school, and we learn things in the natural realm. We learn about certain principles like gravity, right? And, and about the polarities of, of magnetism and, and things like this. And there are certain laws that God has built into creation, natural laws that really cannot be altered. They're things that scientists depend on, and they're predictable laws. And so a lot of what we understand and believe is based on those natural laws because we know that there's certain limitations in this world. But there's also a supernatural realm, and that's where God dwells. And as Christians, we have access to that spiritual realm, that that supernatural realm where God is and where God does amazing things. In the supernatural realm, we, we, we discover a God who who can go well beyond those natural laws. He can tweak them anytime he wants. He can, he can overwhelm them anytime he wants and, and change them for, for a momentary purpose. Uh, in other words, we would call those miracles. There are things that God can do that just don't make sense in the natural, in the natural self, in the natural realm. They're just like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Think about it. Jesus, born of a virgin, 
That is supernatural. That doesn't make sense. That in our in our natural selves, that doesn't make sense. When, when Balaam's donkey began to speak, that makes no sense whatsoever. Whatsoever. When when uh, Elijah went to Mount Carmel and he called on the fire of the Lord to come down and consume the sacrifice that he had put on the altar and doused it with water, that doesn't make sense. When Elijah was caught up in the chariot and taken to heaven and never died, that doesn't make sense. Most of what is in this book, these scriptures, are teaching us about a God who is well beyond and bigger than the natural realm that we live in. But the problem is, is the world is so convinced that there is only the natural world. There is nothing above that. And so they don't think like we do as Christians. They don't they don't accept some of this because it doesn't make sense. And so it, 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 uh, it, what's the word I'm looking for? It hinders them. It hinders their faith. It hinders their theology. It hinders them from coming to a place where they accept Jesus into their lives because it just doesn't make sense. But this is how God created everything. As Christians, we should be excited knowing that regardless of our circumstance here on earth in the natural realm, that we have a God who can still work miracles to get us and manipulate the circumstances to get us into a different place where we can look back and say, what an amazing God we have. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, the other day, uh, Paige, you know, she's been having some problems with her back, and she was praying uh, that God would help her. And, and then she said, why don't you just pray for me that God would heal my back? And I said, okay, why not? Uh, <laughs> that's what the Bible says, right? I call on the elders of the church. I'm an elder. Sure, I'll pray for you. So I, I pray for her, and, and what we figure out is that one of her legs is a little bit longer than the other, right? That happens sometimes, right? You hear about that. Anyway, so what we figured was, well, we'll pray that God will fix the leg that's shorter, right? He'll make it grow. And so while I'm praying for her legs, we hear a loud pop, and all of a sudden, her feet are in both perfect alignment. And then her back pain goes away. Crazy stuff, right? Now, you're probably thinking, dude, I don't know what you've been doing, but drinking, whatever, I don't know. But, dude, that just didn't happen. But see, that's what God can do, because God can supersede the the natural realm. He can manipulate things and he can perform miracles. We have a God who performs miracles. That's the point, right? I'll tell you another quick story about a friend. um, uh, I don't have permission to tell the story. I didn't ask for permission, so I'm just going to tell you in a generic term. But I have a friend who who, uh, lost her voice and was having problems speaking. And um, and so I said, well, let's pray for you. Let's pray that it'll, it'll get better. And so we prayed, and nothing happened. And then the God says, oh, you better pray a little bit differently this time. So I went up, and I put my hand on her throat like this, and I prayed for her. And while I was doing it, something started moving in her throat. And a spirit came out of her mouth, and immediately her voice returned, just like that. Now you're like, that doesn't make sense. You're right. That's what makes it a miracle. But we have a God who still performs miracles. He's still in the miracle business. And that's what makes Christianity so amazing. That what's a, that's what makes our faith so amazing. If you look up at the, de- the definition for miracle, and if you haven't gathered yet, miracles are what we're talking about today. And I've entitled this message, Take Away the Stones. 
Take away the stones. You'll understand that in a minute. But the definition of a miracle comes from the Greek word dunamis, which means a miraculous power, might, or strength. Dunamis, power of God. It can also be the Greek word semion, which means a mark, a sign, or a token, excuse me, by which a person is distinguished from others, or of miracles and wonders by which God authenticates those whom he has sent, or by which those who were sent prove that their cause is of God. Interesting definition. Jesus came into the world, the epitome of all of this. In, uh, in Hebrews 2.24, it says, This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he was distributed according to his will. Then we're going to find out, we have a couple other events I want you to focus. This is the, the foundation for what we're going to talk about. In Hebrews 7, 7.25, it says, Therefore he, Jesus, the high priest, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So I just wanted to set that to understand that Jesus is our intercessor. He is the one who goes to the Father on our behalf and bridges the gap between where we are in our sinfulness, in our brokenness, in our in our worldliness. Jesus bridges the gap to the supernatural, to the heavenly Father, and he brings the two together. He intercedes for us. That's important to note. Jesus goes to the Father regularly on our behalf to intercede for us. Okay, just set that there. In, he, in uh, Hebrews, I'm sorry, in eight, Romans 8, 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So not only do we have an advocate in Jesus, the high priest who intercedes for us with the Heavenly Father, but we also have a Holy Spirit that precedes or intercedes for us to the Heavenly Father. The two working together on our behalf for our good and to bridge the gap to the supernatural, to the Heavenly Father, where miracles can take place. So my question and my frustration is this, why do we not see more miracles? Why don't we expect more miracles? What is it that hinders us from obtaining miracles in this world? This is a frustration of mine because I have to become completely honest. For most of my life, I have had no faith in miracles. I've had faith in Jesus. I've had faith in the Holy Spirit, faith in my God, faith in the, in the integrity of the Holy Scriptures. But I was raised and taught that these things are not applicable today. These miracles happened then, but not now. And so that is such a, uh, an unhealthy teaching for any church because that basically tells us that no matter how sick you are or how poor you are or how sinful you are, there's nothing that God can do for you. Because God doesn't do miracles. See how dangerous that can be? 
But the fact is, because our God is such a God of love and such a God of integrity and a God of power, he, he gives us access to himself through his son, Jesus. And he says, now you should have hope in your life because of what I've done for you, because of who I am. We should be a people who constantly live in hope. Now, with this said, I want us to look at this cool little story of Lazarus. We're not going to start all the way from the beginning of the chapter. The screw just keeps getting caught up in here. It's just weird. Anyway, that's a side note. You don't have to pay extra for that. So anyway, in this little pericope of Scripture, it talks about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. We begin with verse 38 with this, this really cool part of Jesus. He was deeply moved. In John eleven thirty five, it says Jesus wept, had a cruce in Hayezu, which means that he burst into tears because of the, the brokenness of the people that he was around, the people he loved. Uh, Martha and Mary were beloved friends of his. Lazarus was a beloved friend. When he died and he saw the pain in their, uh, their eyes and in their hearts, he grieved over them and it provoked him to weep. Jesus is very intimate about his people. And out of that that intimacy and out of that painfulness, once more it says in verse 38, he was deeply moved and he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said these words, take away the stone. Take away the stone. That's where I get the, the title of the message, right? Take away the stones. I want you to just, we're going to try to be creative here just to kind of look at this and make sense of it. What does the stone represent? The stone is like, it seals the deal. It seals the body into its, its, its burial chamber and it puts an end to that life and says, this is it. This life is now officially aborted. There can be no more life. There is no more that's ever going to come out of this cave. There's never anything good that's going to happen in this cave. This life is completely over. But on the outside, it is also a message that it sends to us that there's also closure and completion, something that cannot be altered. It can also represent a hindrance. The reason Jesus said, take away the stone, is because as long as the stone is still over the cave, miracles will not happen. But you have to remove the stone, which represents, in some cases, disbelief and disfaith or unfaith. By moving the stone out of the way, now you have the possibility of a miracle. And so the reason, this is at least what's playing out in my head, the reason we don't have more miracles, that we don't see more miracles, is because we have stones over our faith that have prevented us from going any further. Whether those stones have been put there by others, or whether we put those stones there ourselves, or perhaps bad theology has put that stone in place. As long as that stone remains, there will be no miracles in your life. Because that has already sealed the deal. Nothing else can be expected. But Jesus makes it very clear. Now remember, he does this as a commandment. He doesn't ask them to do this. He says, take away the stone. And by taking away the stone, now possibilities emerge. Now I want you to look at this next part. This is cool stuff, by the way. Cool stuff. Martha says, but... 
Now, how many times in the church do we hear the word but? But we can't do that because, but if we do this, this may happen or this may happen, right? We, we, we're all about the buts, right? We want them in the seats, but we also don't want them in our meetings, but we get them there anyway, right? But anyway, so they happen all the time. But Martha says, remember, she's a beloved believer in Christ. But Lord, the sister of the dead man says, by this time, there is a bad odor for he has been there for four days. She is completely right. There is. But Martha at this moment is thinking with human logic. Her human logic is 100% correct as she lives in this humanly sphere of influence. In this humanity in which we live, she knows that there is an odor in there. And when we take off the stone, the odor is going to hit us in the face. So let's just leave it alone. Leave it alone. This was her excuse not to move the stone because of her, her own belief system, because of her common sense. It just doesn't make sense that if we, that to, for any reason, to remove the stone, it makes no sense whatsoever in any context. Why would we do this? But see, so many times we're thinking in our flesh. We're thinking in the human realm. We're thinking in the human capacity, in the human realm. We're thinking about, we're just trying to be realistic. Stuff like this doesn't happen. So why would we ever move this stone? Nothing good's going to come from this. But see, that's why you have to move the stone. Because if you don't move the state, your logic wins. Your logic has prevented God from doing the miraculous. You have to move the stone so that your logic will be moved out of the way and God can come in with something supernatural. But this is a problem. This is why so many believers don't have miracles is because their logic doesn't allow it to happen. You won't read it in a textbook in any of your classes in college. You will not read it in a textbook. There are certain natural laws that are put in place, and and we just don't go against those natural laws because that sounds stupid to us. But do you realize that God is bigger than stupidity? He can, he can turn stupidity into brilliance. I think that's what he says in Romans and 1 Corinthians. When Paul says, I could have come to you with an intellectual conversation. I could have debated you up here at a very philosophical and intellectual level, but I chose not to because that would be a waste of my time. Instead, I came with the simplicity of the gospel under the radar, and I hit you right where you weren't expecting it, with the easiness, the simplicity of it, the the part that is just that a kid can understand. But, but as adults, us thinkers, our logic thinkers, this is very just, just ridiculous. Why would we do this? But remember, the logic was 100% accurate. Yes, it does make sense. It does make sense. However, in making sense, that blocks you from a miracle. Jesus goes on in verse 40 and he says this, Did I not just tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? They had this conversation back in verses 23 through 26, 27. And that's when uh, Jesus came and Martha said, Oh, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. But she says in verse 22, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Does she really believe that? Does she really believe that whatever he asks, God will give him? 
We're going to see in just a moment. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, there's a couple ways of interpreting that. Will could mean right now or in a couple seconds, or it could be in a few years or in a few eternities, right? He, all he says is, is that your brother will rise again. But what we have to focus on is the fact that this is going to happen. His, her brother is going to raise from the dead. He is going to raise. And Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, do you not understand? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, I believe. So in this passage in verse 40, Jesus just says, did I not just tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So now we got a problem. Now that we have people that are being hindered by human logic, we have people who are being hindered by confusion of, of, of the conversation, who are in disbelief of the very words Jesus spoke. The very words Jesus spoke, I don't necessarily believe it today. Maybe down the road, but not for today. So in verse 41, it says, they took away the stone now, we have to focus here for another minute. We've got to stop and look at this. They took away the stone. Martha did not have the ability to remove the stone herself. She had to have help. What does that tell us? Now, we, whether we look at this literally or figuratively, it doesn't matter. What it means is this. When it comes to removing the stones of your faith that are hindering you and blocking you from miracles, you cannot remove the stone yourself. You need help. You need other believers that come along with you as a community and say, look, I've been here before. I can help you. Uh, let me assist you. Let me show you what I've learned from the scriptures. Let me show you what I believe from, from what I've been taught in Sunday school. And together, you mutually come to the consensus this stone can be moved. We're going to help you do so. But I, I, I talk to a lot of people who have already made up their minds that this is factual. This is logic. This is fact. This is the way it's going to be. And they've shut out every other attitude, every other input, because I'm doing this myself. But they took away the stone. They helped her. To remove the stone. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the, the verse that says, uh, You want to remove the plank from another, or the splinter from another person's eye while you have a plank in your own eye. Uh, it just kind of seems the match here. You can tell me later if you agree. So, continuing with verse 41, now this is where it gets really intense. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. What in the world is he talking about? Well, to understand this, you have to focus on the tense that he's using. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, past tense. So Jesus isn't asking right now to answer this prayer or to move, to move Lazarus, to bring him back. He's already 
talk to the Lord about this. He's already talked to his father. He says, I knew, past tense, that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people. You see, again, past tense. Somewhere in time, Jesus had a conversation with his heavenly father where, where they talked about the, 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 the life of Lazarus and Jesus became an intercessor for his friend Lazarus and for Mary and Martha and all of the community. And don't forget his disciples. Jesus had a previous conversation with his heavenly father where he interceded and they talked about, Lord, what are we going to do about this Lazarus problem? He's very sick. He's about to die. I just gave away the answer. In the very beginning of chapter 11, it says a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. Mary Martha was his sister's. He lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the, or she was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord, wiped with her hair. In verse four, when they heard this, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. In other words, previous to this verse four, he and the father had talked. They've already had this conversation where? In the supernatural realm. They didn't have it on earth. But prayerfully, he went to the Father and intercede, and the two of them came to agreement. This is what we're going to do in the life of Lazarus. We're going to perform a miracle. We're going to raise him from the dead. Jesus knew this ahead of time. In verse 4, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. The decision was made. The intercession has already been completed. Jesus knows ahead of time he's already received revelation. Lazarus is coming to life. And that's why he waits a few days. That's why he, he, he tarries just a little bit. That's why he speaks with Mary and Martha with confidence. And he's, he's doing this to build them up, to strengthen them for the life that they're going to live after he leaves the earth. It's amazing stuff. In verse 14, it says, Then he told them plainly, the disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him now. There's a point to this. There's a method to the madness. So now in verse 41, Jesus says with past tense terms, Father, I thank you that you heard me. You heard my intercession. You heard my request. I knew that you always heard me. You always hear me. I knew that. You always hear me. You always listen to me. You always care about what I'm thinking and feeling. But I said this from the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So here's my question to you. Is it possible that God already has made a determination upon your life and upon your circumstance, upon your situation, that a miracle is going to happen in your life because Jesus and the Holy Spirit has already been to the Father and has intercessed on your behalf. Your miracle has already been determined. It's already ready for you. All you need to do now is remove the stone. Just remove the stone and it all comes together. But because God's a gentleman, if you leave that stone in place, your miracle just sits there and sits there. Your, your blockage 
your stones could be greatly delaying your blessing or they could completely deny your blessing completely. This changes things. We're in a situation where we, we hear this, we think about this. Well, is it God's will to heal everybody? Well, I think it's his will, but in reality it won't happen because we live in a fallen world. Well, how do we know which one's God's going to heal and which one's he's not? Well, a lot of that depends on us. Are you going to keep the stone in place or are you going to move it? Are you going to act in faith or are you going to act out of logic? It's up to you. Unfortunately, many of us continue to make our decisions based on logic. It doesn't make sense. God doesn't do that. Well, I'm here to tell you, God does do it. And I see accounts all through scripture of God doing it. The determination's already been made because of our intercession. What are you going to do? That's just crazy stuff. When he had said this, and when he had thanked God for what God had already decided to do, he, he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now notice that at this point, he didn't have some long prayer that was created in order to move God because of his intellect or because of his, his prayer life ability he, he didn't try to sway God and to, to impress God uh, with using big, fancy King James-type words. He didn't write down his prayer and then just say, okay, God, blah, 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 blah. Uh, all he did was he said, Lazarus, come out. Very short, simple, sweet to the point. And God acted. We have to command it. We have to expect it. And we have to tell it. With this, in verse 44, the dead man came out. The miracle walked right out of the tomb. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And this is the last thing I want to bring up to you, which I think is also cool. Jesus said to them, plural, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You see, Jesus wanted as many hands on as possible because he was in the, in the disciple-making business. Jesus could have done all of this for, by himself for his own purpose, but no, his goal is to build disciples, faithfully build them, physically deal, uh, build them, spiritually build them in every shape and form. He needed to develop these people to be disciples. So he invited them to come and to participate in the miracle and to share in this experience. And this is just cool stuff. This is just cool. Jesus is inviting all of us to participate in his miracle business in order to develop our faith and to make us rock-solid believers in the body. Right? And that's why he does miracles to develop us. If he does no miracles, then we have no faith. Or at least, you know, this piddly faith that really can't do much. Yeah, we hear the verse that says, yeah, if you have the faith of mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move and it will move. But why don't we go to any mountains and tell them to move? 
because we don't have faith, even in our mustard seed faith. It's crazy. God wants to develop us. He wants to do amazing things in us and through us. But because of the stones that we have allowed to exist in our faith, we're blocking ourselves every single day. And and I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when, when I was like that, I was dead spiritually. I kept thinking to myself, is this all there is in this world? Is this it? Is this all I can ever expect? Is this all we're ever going to see is negativity and discouragement and weak faith? And then God came along and opened my eyes. And I pray that he'll do the same for you. But it's not going to happen until you remove the stones. So let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray that you will challenge us to set aside our human logic, to set aside our intellect, and to trust you in the supernatural, to trust your dunamis power, your dunamis strength. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of our amazing intercessors that go to you on a regular basis to fight for us. Help us, Lord, to live out the results of this battle, the results of this intercession, the results of your power. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to see the truth. Pray that you will move the stones away from our caves, Lord, so that we can see some miracles. Lord, this world is dying. They're discouraged. They have no faith. They don't believe in you. Church attendance is down across the world. Lord, let's reverse that. Let's show them just how amazing our God is. We pray this in your holy and righteous name. For your purposes, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing our closing.
right. Um, let's pray. Fathers, we go our separate ways. I pray that you will send us in the power of your anointing, in the power of your spirit. I pray that you will challenge our faith every day, Lord, that you'll continue to show us things that we've never seen before and develop in us something incredible, Lord, that can truly move mountains because this dying world needs us to be lit on fire with the power of God. Lord, please bring us to a place where we care about the lost and we deny ourselves. In Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. You all stay out of trouble.